0: On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast, Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zamprin. We are going back to the moon. Well, not you and I, but NASA is. On Monday, the Artemis rocket was scheduled to be going to the moon. Why are we doing this? What is, what is the reason to do what we did over 50 years ago? Again, we'll get into that one. Uh, Labor Day Classic is coming up. Mike Moriali is going to join us to talk tie cats. We have all kinds of union movement. Lots of fast food places and Amazon and Starbucks looking to unionize. Is this the push towards a new golden era of unions or is this just a spin-off from the difficult times that we've come through with COVID? We're going to be talking about the new Hamilton City Magazine. We're going to discuss how ultra-processed food is affecting you and not just physically. We'll get into that one. And the real estate market. Um Depending on which side of the real estate market you're on, it's either great days or not so great days. We'll get into all that. Stick around.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Well, we were supposed to be going back to the moon today, sort of. A rocket, an unmanned rocket was supposed to be going back, but the Artemis 1 launch has been scrubbed for the day, seeming to have problems with stuff. (laughs) I'll I'll leave it there I I am not nearly versed enough in rocket language to be able to explain why but there are problems with something and so they have put the launch off for today it may now go off on Friday let me bring in Orbach who is a lecturer in the Department of Physics the College of Engineering and Physical Sciences at the University of Guelph he's co-founder of Royal City Science and one half of Orbach's and Pepper Do Science which is an educational science based platform thanks for the time today No, no problem. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, tell me something about this. We're going back to the moon. I understand that this is—you know—there's all kinds of stuff going on here. We did this in 1969, 1970, 71. Why is it still so difficult to do this? You would think that when we were able to do it then, with technology that we have, it should have become so much easier, shouldn't it? Well, I mean, it has, and, and the, the mission that's being
2: planned is is leagues above what we've done in the past. Like you said, it's been 50 years since we've been up to the moon, um, and in, in that interim time we've been able to put robots on Mars, we've been able to put a giant space telescope out a million kilometers away from Earth, and uh, we're, we're planning some big things up on the moon these days.
0: Yeah, but you know, they always said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but that the original computer... On the Apollo Eleven was less powerful than the first iPhone, as far as a computer goes. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Oh yeah, but, that's 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 definitely true. Okay, <laughs> most, and,
2: of, the, most and, of the computing power is down on on the ground
0: on Earth. It just it seems remarkable that, uh, as you say, with all the other things we've been able to do, you would think that by now we could throw a rocket together and with the technology, just say, boom, and off we go. But uh, obviously today proves this is still an incredibly, incredibly complex thing to do.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've sat on the tarmac enough times in an airplane that hasn't taken off on time, let alone a rocket. True, true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. But I, again, like, are there, is there anything else in our scientific world that has advanced seemingly so slowly and I mean that's a rhetorical question because obviously there must be some things but so many other things there's been such vast improvements in that I anyway I'm just I'm sort of surprised when I saw that it was scrubbed and they were having all these problems I thought well you know the the advancements may be not as fast w- let me ask you this would it have been different if we had been consistently going to the moon since the early 1970s, would we have expected then the technology would have us at a place today that it would be easy?
2: Oh, I I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's been large gaps in the space program uh, throughout the history of the space program. And and like I said, you know, it's been 50 years since we've actually been to the moon. But you have to think of it this way as well. This uh, space launch system rocket that they were trying to launch this morning is the most powerful and probably one of the most complex rockets ever sent up into space. So the fact that we have diagnostics now that can seek out things like small leaks in an engine or a missing O-ring or various uh, mechanical potential failures is a huge step forward in that you have a rocket that you can make sure actually gets up there on time.
0: Uh, And interesting, you mentioned the missing O-ring. Anyone who remembers the space Mm -hmm. shuttle disaster, that'll be something that resonates. This This is a rocket that I would think, under the circumstances, it has to work. I mean if this thing were to <laughs> yeah, blow absolutely. up that ends this program right?
2: I would I would assume so. I mean and that that's one of the great things about having the tech that we have now to troubleshoot these types of things over and over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, what uh, we only have a few seconds here but um, yeah, yeah. and it's wait it's way too short to to ask this question. It's unfair to ask you this but <laughs> w- why are we going back to the moon having done it 50 years ago or more than 50 years ago? Why are we why is this the thing now?
2: Well, I'll try to give you the quick version of it. The Artemis missions, their plan is to set up a mobile, uh, to set up a a base camp on the surface of the moon with an orbiting lunar uh, space station going around it. The idea being that if we are ever to have human beings on further away planets like Mars, um, it's better to try to test out these systems and have ways to solve these problems when we're much closer to home than when we're a million miles away.
0: It's, uh, listen, we want to talk about this more, uh, at another time because it, it really, it is a fascinating discussion to have and how this would all work and everything else. Uh, sadly short on time today Orbax, I uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks for no jumping problem. on. Take care. You have a great day. You as well. Uh, we'll have a better day than the scientists with uh, with this uh, Artemis who are frantically working to try and figure out what uh, what they need to fix right now. But yeah, not going off today apparently. So um, later in the week,
1: you're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Labor Day classic is Monday. They say that the CFL season does not begin until Labor Day. Let me bring in Mike Moriali, longtime legendary Hamilton Tiger Cat. I mean, now he's all in basketball and stuff, but I mean, he, he's a football guy first and foremost. Mike, how are you today?
3: I'm doing well, Scott. How you doing? All
0: right, I'm doing okay. How's the uh, how's the throwing arm? Uh, you may need to be called back <laughs> into duty this weekend. It's uh, they got some quarterback problems in black and gold right now.
3: Well, I think they, they, there's a few things going on, that's for sure. I'm not sure how much I could help on the field anymore, but uh, it'd certainly be fun in the locker room.
0: Yeah, well, I, that's a good point. Is it fun in the locker room right now? I mean, I mean, guys say it was always fun in the locker room, but when you're three and eight and things are not going as planned, what is the locker room
3: like? It's it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you know, losing the way they've been losing, I imagine stings, and and certainly I've been there before many times. Um, and and really, Labor Day was the savior to a year in, in a lot of the years that I played um now it's it's still relatively early to your point and the east is still up for grabs but there's some work to be done and uh it, it needs to start uh, on monday
0: it is i don't know if it's shocking to you it is shocking to me that you can be three and eight and very much in the mix to finish first in the east uh, th- there is something this is a weird year when you win monday you're one game out of first place in this division despite how bad things have gone
3: yeah, it's I, you know, it's it's crazy to be quite honest when you look at it, it in that respect, but you've gotta, you got to you got to take it for what it's worth. If you're you're the Cats, you, it doesn't matter in this league what happens. You make the playoffs, you got a chance. That's that's all you need. And if if the East are cooperating and things aren't going well on on a year when when you, you know, were hoping to do better, I think I guess that's just you go along with the ride and you do what you got to do to get into the playoffs.
0: Monday is going to be... Uh, now, you played for both Toronto and Hamilton, as people know, although around here we, you know, underplay the Toronto side. We don't want to get you <laughs> abused anymore. But um, this is the fourth time in five weeks these two teams are going to play. I I, I honestly, might can't recall another... I mean, we've seen two and three. Um, but in football, I can't remember another time when two teams have played each other this much and we always hear, well, they must hate each other by now. Does does that happen like that? I mean, I know you don't have a a pure example, because you've probably never faced this, but does that carry over, or do guys walk off the field and it doesn't matter who they play the next week?
3: I, I mean, in some cases it doesn't matter, but if you're playing the same team, you know, four times out of five weeks, there, there, there's animosity that builds up on the field when you're going head-to-head with somebody repeatedly. And you kind of figure out what the player's all about and how they play and vice versa. They figure you out a little bit. So it's, you know, it, this is basically a game of chess at this point. Um, everybody knows what everybody can do. You just got to go out and execute. I think that's, that's probably been the biggest issue with the Cats is just being able to execute at the right time and not making mistakes at the wrong time. So it's a fine line. That's the crazy thing. You know, if you go back and they would have won those games by one or two and, things went the other way we would have been happy and praising everything but you know uh winning winning solves everything that's really what happens
0: let me go back to that idea about playing the same guy over and over so you're let's let's say you're playing another team and you've played them a couple times in the cfl and depending it doesn't matter what position you are you're going to be covered you're on offense you're going to be covered by the same guy or a couple guys you're going to be in their vicinity and there's a few times they're going to just drill you are you a guy? Do most players go? Oh, you know what? That's just part of the game. He hit me hard. No problem. I'm just going to get up and wink at him. Or when a guy hits you hard a few times, is there a legitimate like personal spite to that guy in that game?
3: Uh, it, you try to leave everything you know on the field, but at the same time, you know, even in the, especially you had the, the layer of, of Labor Day and that intensity of playing in Hamilton on Labor Day against the Argos. You know, you're you're already ramped up. More so than before, but if you've been going against the same guy repeatedly for the last month or three weeks or whatever it's been, it's again things build up. It's just it's just natural. Uh, it's nice to have a little variety when you play because you get prepared, <laughs> look differently at different teams. But if you're playing the same team, oh man, it, I can see where where tempers would flare, and, and Labor Day is a perfect spot to get that started.
0: Yeah, especially if you're on the line. And so just play after play, you're smashing into the exact same guy opposite you. Well, there, there would become a point where there would come a point when you would just be really tired of that guy.
3: It happens during one game. So imagine playing repeated games. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, it would be tough.
0: Well, we got only a few seconds here, but what, what, is, what has been going wrong? Because the, I, I really believe that the Ticats have a talented group. I know they've got injuries, but they have talent on this team. What's what has led to three and eight at this point?
3: I think what I, what I spoke to uh, before a little bit was just was just executing at the right times, making sure that you know they're 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 not making the mistakes when they shouldn't be, and they're just taking care of the ball. Uh, taking care of the ball has been a big one, and that's you know not really indicative of how this team has played over the last long time, years and years and years. Uh, they've always been very smart with the football. Not a lot of turnovers this year has been almost it, it like total reverse which is very uncharacteristic um so watching those is important but also they will happen so how do you recover from that um you know on monday if it happens early in, in the first quarter you just have to rally you got to stay together as a team and you got to get through it i mean there's a lot of good things that can happen if you play well on monday it really will change the dynamic of the season uh, almost the uh, overnight
0: well, and we got to run, but yes, and also uh, play well and it's Labor Day. The fans will love you, but I got to think that if the Cats come out and it's a slow start the way this season has been going, um, you're probably as a Cat not wanting to hear what some of the fans are going to say on a Labor Day if, uh, <laughs> if if you underperform at home after this season.
3: I would say I may have been on some of
0: the ends of some of those
3: <laughs> in both color jerseys, I, so I know, I know the feeling.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I've, I I remember hearing some of those comments directed towards you, Mike, and um, yes, I think you're bang on accurate that uh, uh, a little bit of alcohol on a nice late summer day and a little bit of cranky fandom and... Um, it's amazing some of the comments that are uh, that are generated, but uh, let's hope that that let's hope it doesn't happen. Mike Morielli, always appreciate the time, Mike. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Talk to you soon.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We have been hearing
0: more and more examples recently of union or union pushes at places that traditionally were not where you would have unions in the states, for example, a number of Fast food places have been pushing for unionization. Here in Canada, we've had a, a Starbucks in Calgary where the workers have joined the, steel workers, the United Steelworkers Union. Um, there are others where we are hearing about people who have decided they want to unionize. Now, the question is, is this something that is simply the spin-off or the spill-off from COVID and people who face difficulties keeping jobs or having hours and are now upset about that, or is this something that is going to get some traction and that we may see more and more and more of? To get that answer, let us turn to the professor who never sleeps. His name is Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. He joins us now. Marvin, how are you this morning?
4: I'm just great, thank you.
0: Excellent. So what, what do you think about the? Are these things sounding to you like they are one-offs because of a specific and particular circumstance in our time that people have been going through tough times? Or could you actually see this becoming a thing that really catches on and we suddenly see McDonald's workers and Harvey's workers and everyone else all unionizing?
4: Right. So if you don't mind, Scott, before I answer that question, let me just put a little context around this. Uh, In terms of the labor movement, what we had been witnessing in much of the 80s, 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s was that the number of unionized workers in Canada was declining. Now, you have to think of it in the terms of the private sector and the public sector. Unionization in the public sector has been strong and has remained strong through all of those periods. So we can think of, you know, the, the secondary school teachers or the elementary school teachers, uh, unionized workers with the city of Hamilton or, or at Mohawk College. Uh, Those unions have remained strong throughout. But what we had been witnessing was a decline in the number of unionized people in the private sector. Now, that was because, historically, uh, it was people who worked in production who made goods. Here in Hamilton, you could imagine the size that Stelco once was. DeFasco was not unionized, but nonetheless at one time thousands and thousands and thousands of employees. Well, over time, of course, we've introduced technology to those industries and we make more steel than we've ever made, but with a smaller number of people. So we saw the unionization rate in the private sector going down. Now COVID comes along and for the last two years we've certainly had a very disruptive uh, environment. And what we've seen this year, uh, you used an example of a Starbucks in Calgary where at that location they unionized. Of course, there were several attempts to unionize at Amazon warehouses one succeeded, two other attempts did not succeed. But for the first time in many years, we've seen the numbers go up. Now, I always argue that management gets the union that it deserves, meaning that if you keep the, uh, the interests of your employees front and center, if you treat them well, you give them good benefits, you're, you're sort of generous with your pay as you go, then likely you're not going to have a union. This has been the philosophy at DeFasco, and why after? 60 70 years of what witnessing the unionized environment just down the road at stelco defasco has not had a union because they've treated the employees well think about the last couple of years if you worked at a restaurant or a fast food place or even in some of these warehouses what did you see happen well at one point your job was declared unessential your business was declared unessential you were shut down then you were brought back oops COVID's back we shut you down again Uh, oh, when you do come back, we don't want to give you full-time hours, we're going to give you part-time hours, we're not sure about the benefits, and on and on and on. So at the moment, uh, everyone who works in the service sector is a little prickly, for lack of a better term, Hmm. and they don't feel they've been getting the respect they deserve, and probably they've not had the respect they deserve, they don't feel their environments are right. So this is where the field is ripe to unionize. The one little difference, however, is that some of these organizations have set it up in a way that if I unionize in one location, it doesn't automatically spill over to another. So, for instance, the Amazon unionization drive was at one specific warehouse. Just because it became unionized did not mean that all of Amazon. So you have to go warehouse by warehouse, location by location. And think of a Starbucks. It was a location in Calgary. It wasn't all of them who went out to unionize. So it's going to be interesting to see. And I I have to tell you candidly, we are not sure. Is this the start of something or is it a temporary thing? I can see it going both ways. As the environment gets better for workers, there's less of a need to unionize, less of a need to force the issue. On the other hand, once you get a taste of it, maybe it's going to keep rolling. So we're going to watch over the next year or two to see if this is just a a one-time thing or if it's part of a bigger trend.
0: I do wonder if, see, technology, and you touch on technology. Technology is always advancing, but I wonder if we've reached a point in some of these sectors where there's a risk to unionize because, you know, we've already seen in a lot of departments, well, not department stores, stores, where, where they have auto checkout now. You don't need people. Yep. So suddenly, you know what, our, our people get together and they say, we're going to unionize, and the company then says, and we're going to increase our technology and we don't need you anymore there's a there seems to be a a push pull here that could happen that you could unionize yourself right out of a job
4: (laughs) well you know this is always a concern now uh, i'm old enough unfortunately to remember some of the big strikes in the production sectors uh in the 1960s and 70s say car uh in the car sector or even for that matter in the steel sector and what have we seen well we've seen the introduction of robotics so today, again, car manufacturers make as many cars as they've ever made, but they do it with fewer employees because they've introduced technology. The great thing about robots from a management perspective is they don't have a pension plan, they don't have a dental plan, they don't get sick, they aren't entitled to a certain number of vacation days, they they just work away, chug away without those extra benefits. So to the extent you you push your case too much, you might encourage technology. Now having said that to you, We've never had an industry go completely without some some staff. For instance, a store still needs to have the the goods restocked on the shelves. Maybe I can handle most of the checkouts automatically, but there are other human things I have to do. So I'm not sure people should be fearful of unionization. And again, if they feel they haven't been treated with respect, there could be a benefit to unionize. But in the long term, what we've seen over and over again is technology introduced, And the number of jobs in that sector goes down. Give you another quick example, if I can, Scott. At the end of the First World War, so roughly 100 years ago, uh, nearly half of all Canadians worked in agriculture. Today, it's less than 10%. And again, the big thing there was technology. We've got these gigantic combines and tractors and plows so that we can mass produce food with fewer human interaction. I'm not saying there's a direct cause and effect, but we know that trend is layering there in the background.
0: Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Always love having you on. Thanks for the time today. You can go back to bed now.
4: Glad glad, glad to be
1: with you, Scott. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: A new player on the Hamilton media scene. Hamilton City Magazine has launched digitally and in a few weeks there will be a hard copy that you'll be able to purchase. Uh, As I say, it's a new magazine that is talking about Hamilton and things around Hamilton and things in Hamilton. Mark Skolnick is the editor of the magazine. He joins us now. Mark, how are you today? I am good, Scott. How are you? Excellent. Congratulations on getting up and running. I I have to imagine that getting started with something like this uh, coming out of COVID has been... um, I'm I'm just amazed you have any hair left. Let's put it that way. (laughs)
5: That's right. So um, actually, if you've seen my photo, I have more hair than ever, but um, much to the (laughs) chagrin of my wife and my daughter. But no, you know what? It's been an incredibly um arduous and long journey um you know covid notwithstanding it's uh it's been the better part of two years um you know trying to get this up and running and it's been a lot of late nights a lot of sort of you know blood sweat and tears um a lot of long days especially over the last month or so with laying everything out and getting the website ready and you know but it truly has been a labor of love for for the five of us and we are so excited that finally, you know, COVID be damned, we're actually at the, you know, the start. The the website has these amazing articles up as of today. Um, our print edition will go out September the 15th and we'll do the big uh, cover reveal um, at Supercrawl, which you're going to be at. And uh, yeah, I know it's um, a heck of a lot of work, but a heck of a lot of fun. So.
0: So for all that work and all those challenges and all that effort and all the obstacles and everything else, why, What? why do it? Why, why create a new magazine? Where is the need? Where's the market for this? Why do this?
5: Yeah. Well, you know, that's funny because I can't tell you how many times we, you know, looked at each other, whether it was on zoom or, or in person at the cotton factory and we said exactly that, you know, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a very good question. And the thing is, you know, I was the editor of Hamilton Magazine for eight years. Um, Hamilton Magazine was around for 41 years. Um, and, you know, Hamilton is a big city, right? It has it has an authenticity and a grit and, you know, it has a downtown and it has these amazing suburbs. It has a world-class food scene, it has a world-class music scene, it has a world-class art scene. It's booming. Um, COVID notwithstanding, Hamilton needs and deserves a big city magazine that reflects all the amazing people, places, and things, um, you know, to do, um, to tell the stories, to celebrate the city. And we felt that, you know, again, I keep saying COVID notwithstanding, but even, you know, after COVID, people would say, oh, we really miss a magazine, Hamilton. You know, The Spectator does an amazing job of what it does, but we're a big city and we deserve a big city magazine. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what we've taken the last two years to do, is to bring back a world-class publication that reflects, like I said, and celebrates all the amazing things to do in the city, and all the stories, and all the people, and all the places. So that's uh, that's kind of our mission. Um, you know, our tagline is "For the Love of Hamilton," and that's exactly exactly what we're doing, and and that's going to be our sort of ethos moving forward.
0: And, and I think a lot of people agree that you know they they would whether they subscribe to Hamilton magazine or were just over at indigo or chapters or whatever and would pick it up and take a look. I think a lot of people did that was it was it concerning did it cause you any angst that that magazine wasn't there anymore and how do we replace that and and take the idea that people as you say wanted this kind of magazine but make sure that now we can make it so that it sticks around
5: oh absolutely I mean and that's why. You know, that's a great point in that Hamilton magazine, you know, people used to sort of the biggest compliment to me was whether it was on Twitter or Facebook or what have you. People would say Hamilton magazine is as good as Toronto Life or Hamilton is as good as, you know, the New Yorker or whatever. And to have, you know, our magazine mentioned in the same breath of these world class publications to me was the biggest compliment. So what we've done is, you know, we've assembled an amazing team. You know, we have Meredith McLeod, who. People will know from the spec and you know, boardroom journalist. Um, we have Jeff Martin, who was a huge part of Hamilton Magazine as a feature writer. Uh, we have Will Vipontate, who's our art director, and we have Mark Wu, who is our website guru um, from Two gen So what we've done is we've taken, you know, all the best parts of Hamilton Magazine—the the, the the layout, um, just the you know the, the focus on food and art and drink and culture and politics—but we've also created this amazing website. Is going to the thing with Hamilton magazine is as good as it looked. The website was awful, and I'll say that you know with all due respect <laughs> but to to Post Media, but it was perpetually 1997 on our website, and it was it was it was awful. So what we've done is we've created this amazing website that is going to be you know um, interactive. It's going to be it's going to host video. We're going to be able to put up new content you know weekly, if not daily. Um, and so we've kind of, we've you know, the whole taken it to the next level. We truly have, I mean, we're gonna have, the, Will's done an amazing job, our art director, Will, um, creating this brand and this, this. I mean, wait till you see the print edition it is absolutely gorgeous. But again, Mark Wu has created a website that will hopefully be people's sort of go-to, oh, you know, we're gonna have an amazing things to do section, well, what's going on in the city? Oh, know. I'll go to hamiltoncitymagazine.ca and I'll I'll get a comprehensive calendar of of things that are happening this weekend, whether it's arts or music or food or, or culture. Um, so yeah. So to your point, we've taken you know an amazing magazine, Hamilton City Magazine, and we've created an amazing website to complement the print edition. Because um, you know quite a few people said, oh I hope I hope you're doing a print edition. I I, I love you know I'll, I'll subscribe, and we've had hundreds upon hundreds of subscribers. But then we've had other people who say, oh, you know what?
0: Hopefully I can just kind of read it digitally on your website. And Mm. so we've
5: created the best of both worlds,
0: really. It is, uh, well, you know what? We have 30 seconds. And I I apologize because it's not nearly enough time to answer the question properly. But When people do get it, you've talked about some of the things that are going to be in here. Is this primarily a lifestyle and arts magazine or are you having a lot of politics and controversial things? Are are you trying to generate that kind of controversy or is this a you sit down and nobody's really going to be too upset because it doesn't really matter where your politics are. It's all going to be good for you.
5: Well, you know, a bit of both. I mean, we will we will take a hard look at some of the issues. There will be, you know, um, a look at City Hall um, and and politics. But primarily, I mean, there's enough negativity in the world, right? There's enough there's enough bad stuff. So what we want to do is we want to celebrate, like I said, the best of Hamilton. But no, for sure, it's not going to be you know it's not going to be a whole you know Pollyanna where we pretend that everything is rosy in Hamilton. Because let's face it, you know, it, it's not. Um. So we, we we yeah, absolutely, we will be taking hard looks but the majority of the magazine will be celebrating the amazing people, um, places and things. And you said we only have 30 seconds, but I just want to say that, you know, please subscribe, Um, please go to hamiltoncitymagazine.ca to look at what we've posted. We're going to be down at Supercrawl all three days of the festival. We're going to have a tent. Um, We're going to be, hopefully people can come down and subscribe. We're going to be giving away Disney on ice tickets. Uh, It's going to be, you know, a great little sort of coming out party for us. And uh, yeah, we hope that we create something that Hamilton's proud of. I think we have, and the support so far has been amazing. And you know, thank you for having me on. But no, we're really excited, mm-hmm. and I think it's going um, to be, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And I think people, you know, will will be proud of
0: of what we've done. HamiltonCityMagazine.ca. You can go take a look. It's up now. I'm Mark Skolnick, editor of the magazine. Thanks, Mark. Take, appreciate the time today. Thanks, Scott.
1: Take care. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you
0: are a seller, if you have a home that you are hoping is worth as much money as possible, eh, news probably not great for you. If you're trying to unload a home, uh, news probably not great for you. If you're looking to buy a home, news might be much more encouraging for you, other than the fact that interest rates are up and it'll cost you more. It's a, it's a very complicated time now in the real estate market and there are well there are signs it may be getting a little more complicated now conrad zarini is a broker of record with remax Remax escarpment he joins us now conrad thanks for the time today oh thanks for having me scott i really appreciate it well as i say i I don't know if complicated is the right word but at this moment it's really hard to say whose market it is because it's not a seller's market because things are slowing down and prices are down a bit and it's taking more time to sell but if you're a buyer it's not really your market either because interest rates are up and it's going to cost you more. Who's winning here?
6: Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, when you were describing it, the word complicated probably describes it the best at this moment in time because there's a lot of factors and, and real estate, the real estate market, it's granular and it goes neighborhood to neighborhood. But if you ask me right now, um, I would honestly say there it is a it is a time for buyers entering the market. I would say at the peak of the market, which was probably around March 2022, We had, uh, like on our website, people were searching for, it was basically price uh, searches, so lower price. So they were looking at condos and things like that. We've seen a dramatic shift over the last 60 days where people are now looking at single-family homes are now outstripping condo because they've become that much more affordable. Even with the interest rate increase, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably maybe a five dollar difference with the interest rate increase, like a month on your payment with the with the mm. decrease in, in, in purchase rate. And you have to remember this. If you have a twenty five year amortization and you're you're instead of you have a mortgage of seven fifty and it's five hundred thousand, well think about think about it from that standpoint, the amount of interest you'd pay over the twenty five years for that extra two hundred fifty thousand, it really makes it worth it for a buyer to be entering the market right now.
0: When you have, uh, let's go to the sellers for a second. I want to come back to the buyers in a moment. With the sellers, you talked about a moment ago, March, let's say February being the height of it, where you could probably put a house on the market and maybe even a little before then, it didn't really matter. If it was out there, you could name a price and it was going to be, there was going to be interest. Are you finding now that people who are wanting to put their houses up? Are not quite convinced that they have missed the peak. Are they still wanting those prices? Because some of the numbers that I go on Realtor and see, I'm thinking, I thought the prices were going down, and yet they're still extraordinarily high. Are we are we unrealistic if we're a seller right now?
6: I think some some are unrealistic, and I always felt Hamilton had always had great value. You know, when you can buy a single detached in the East End for five hundred and fifty thousand, like where there's not that many places in Southern Ontario where you can do that. So. We've, we, we've always had the, the benefit of different tenure in, in Hamilton, and that's kind of insulated us. But uh, as far as, you know, you know you're, you're probably seeing it's a, probably a 50-50 split. People are still living in, that, in the past, uh, you know, the Q1 of, of 2022. But some people have really adjusted their, their pricing because they're buying in the same market. So they, they want to move on. They're situational. So they're, they're very realistic in terms of prices. I will say this, like the days on market is not up significantly. So if, if it's if it's what I call a cream puff, which is, you know, it's got everything going for it, location and it's, uh, you know, uh, updated and all that kind of thing and, 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 and desirable, then it, then it sells. Like the, the days on market are probably around 14 days on market. In the heat of the market, it was like 12.
0: So mm. if, if it's proper, all right, so, but if, it sells. But Conrad, if we have then, so what, with what you're saying though, if the days on market are not changing much. And yet we're seeing Hamilton is down 39.8% year over year as far as sales. That then must mean that there are a bunch of people who would have been sellers, but looked at the price drop and said, well, I'm just not going to sell right now. I'm going to hold on to my home.
6: Or they're there. They're out there, like you said, and they're kind of lingering. Well, there's another number that's really important. It's months of supply. So we went from less than a month of supply, let's say last year in July, to uh, now we're, we're probably hitting two and a quarter month supply, which is, not a, which is not a terrible market. I can point to 2015 when it was three months supply. So, uh, again, it's just what we're all used to. And we've really seen you know a huge market shift from March to today. Mm-hmm. But yes, you are right. There are homes that are lingering that people are living in that, in the past. And, and we can see it by the amount of reductions. And the other thing is there's another trick realtors do is they cancel and relist. To make it look like it's Mm -hmm. a new listing. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: You mentioned buyers and I said I wanted to get back to buyers for just a second here. The the interest rates that have gone up, and you alluded to that, has this really affected, it it sounds like what you're saying is it hasn't really affected people's ability in a lot of cases. What it's done, it's been a psychological thing to say it's going to cost more and therefore the psychology of this is having as much of an impact as the actual dollar amount.
6: Oh, I think you're right. I think think, think about this. We, we, we dropped, I think it was May 3rd, March 3rd or March 2nd, when they announced a quarter point increase, then the, then the market took a nosedive, like right, from a quarter point. And as we've seen, uh, you know, more, you know, more increases in, uh, in interest rates as, as time's gone on from the bank of Canada, people are adjusting. Canadians are resilient and, and home ownership is probably, you know, I always say it's hockey and home ownership are the two, uh, greatest Canadian sports, I think. And, uh, you know we got all the other factors are there like interest rate is one factor inflation uh housing starts are down that's going to affect supply there's a number of things that are in the market and i think people are adjusting to the interest rates and um it it takes about six to nine months for people to say okay this is what we're dealing with let's let's hunker down and um and they're finding resources bank of mom and dad is still a very very strong factor in financing housing today and and now the purchase price is less and And you have a different strategy. Maybe you do a a variable mortgage, or maybe you do two or three years, and then when the smoke uh, clears and interest rates uh, start to level off, then you're going to be in great shape. It's it's very strategic right now.
0: Conrad Zerini with Remax Escarpment. I really appreciate the time, Conrad. Thanks for doing this today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a great topic. Thank you. It, it, It is always of interest to people because if you own a home, you want to know what it's worth. If you don't own a home, you want everything to plummet so that, you know, I'd love to buy a home for 50,000 bucks. Go back to 1952. Actually, a $50,000 home in 1952 would have been a pretty nice home. Uh, regardless, it is always a fascination to people because we have to have somewhere to live and we want to have some value in our investments. So,
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900-CHML and online at 900 CHML.
4: Com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.